Hi everyone and welcome to Be True, my podcast about the writing I love and the writing I do. Hey, I'm not going to make it a rhyme the whole time. <laughs> it's Chico Marx. <laughs> I'm John Tessitore and today, this is my father's city from my chapbook, I Sit at This Desk and Dream. You can find it and all my work at johntessitore.com. The section beginning, This is My Father's City, is one of the longer sections of the book, and one of the most explicit about the sense of mourning that drives so much of I Sit at This Desk and Dream. It's a section about my father, obviously. Joe Tess died two years before I published this one. But it's also about the hold that place has over all of us, specifically the places of our childhood, some actual places, some places imagined, some positively mythological. As I've mentioned before, I was born in Brooklyn Hospital and spent my first couple of years in Sheepshead Bay, a section of Brooklyn a couple of miles from Coney Island. But I'm really a Long Island kid, part of the suburban migration from New York City in the late 1970s. That migration is often called white flight, but in our case it had more to do with the needs of the extended family than with any particular fear or prejudice. It's a long story for another time, but there had been a tragic death in my extended family soon after I was born, and my parents moved to Long Island to help pick up the pieces. We moved to Long Island when we did, because my parents were needed, and that's a theme of my childhood, actually. But most of our family remained behind, in Brooklyn and, to a lesser extent, in Queens, and we returned to the old neighborhood, as they called it, constantly, every weekend, to see grandparents, aunts and uncles, cousins, People to whom we weren't related at all, and yet maybe somehow we were. (laughs) And I ended up straddling two worlds as a kid. An increasingly homogenous suburb and a more ethnic city. But my father, who commuted to Manhattan every day for work, barely lived in either world. In hindsight, the most stable part of his life was not Long Island or Manhattan, or even the section of Brooklyn where my grandparents moved in their later years, but the deeper past the old Brooklyn of his early years, which was also a place of tragedy for him, having lost a member of his own immediate family when he was still very young, a loss from which he never really recovered. So this part of the longer section of this poem is about my father, and to some extent about me, and about what we mean when we call someplace home. This is my father's city, the one he never left behind. Always too much tragedy to forget, and too much regret. And also the standard for everything that would happen later since I was born in this neighborhood too, with its vast mythology of nobodies, the losers we remember as bold and original, even mighty. It is too simple to mock this trick that memory plays, the lie that the stars create our characters out of thin air, on blank sheets of paper. Only in our worst moments of heartache and nostalgia, only in yearning for an easier way, do our lives seem solitary. My father understood of necessity that life is mostly backstory, a death in the family, a parent in pain. He knew that no one is ever self-contained.
My father understood of necessity that life is mostly backstory. I think I wrote that line before I understood what it meant. It means that while we may convince ourselves that we create our characters out of thin air, as the poem says, we are, each of us, also the product of a much deeper history. In some ways, we are only the most recent chapter of a long, long story. In my case, I'm very much a product of a vast mythology of nobodies, of the stories my father would tell me about growing up in Bed-Stuy, the Bedford-Stuyvesant section of Brooklyn. In the first half of the 20th century, when my parents were born, it was still mostly an enclave of Italian immigrants and their children. A place of narrow streets, no parking, and everyone sitting on the stoop outside, trying to stay cool on a hot summer day. A place of immigrants and clergy and blue-collar families and lots and lots of street kids, tough guys, wise guys, and all the local characters with their fantastic nicknames. The kind... I wouldn't have been able to create out of thin air. People named Bottles and Cuz and Punjab and Cookie and Chatterbox. And Joe Tess, who really was by popular acclaim among the best characters of them all. But it seemed like a whole world of characters better than the ones I was watching on TV and certainly more interesting than any of my friends on Long Island, however much I may love them. Somehow, I carried inside of me an old neighborhood I never really knew. So I was a product of my father's stories, combined with the relative comfort of my own very, very, very stable suburban home. But he was a direct product of those streets, and of the instability of a multifamily home, just a little nicer than a tenement, a home that remained in a state of deep mourning for most of his life. We were very, very much alike, he and I, but therein lay a big difference. I lived the vicarious, second-hand life of a future writer while he lived the genuine article, The City Boy Made Good. And our backstories diverged precisely because he was able to stabilize his own life and create a rather peaceful life for me and my sisters out in the sticks. Yet I remain tied to his story, even now. To all those characters who still populate my head, some of whom I never even met. And to my father's struggles, Those are part of my story, too, because even in the happiness of my childhood, I could feel what he needed. And that's what I mean by home. When I think of home now, it's less a street address than a feeling. Not a bedroom covered in posters of Bruce Springsteen and Jim Morrison and Michael Jordan, but a particular sound I no longer hear very often. A kind of conversation, a kind of story. Loud, brash, emotional, neurotic, loving. Did you hear who died? What number came out yesterday? You'll never guess who I ran into on the street. Don't let anyone fool you. That one's a son of a bitch. All right, that's enough. Everyone go home. It's not the sound of Long Island, and it's barely the sound of Brooklyn. But somehow it's the sound of my childhood. And it's the sound in my head. It's a sound that originates several decades before my birth and several decades before my father's birth, but somehow runs through all of that time, runs through my father, and finds me now in suburban New England in a different century, living in vastly different circumstances. Vastly different. Do you have any idea what my family would have done if they woke up to deer nibbling the grass in the yard the way I did today? Actually, (laughs) I don't either. 
but it would have interrupted their third pot of coffee. You can be sure of that. The point is, I still hear that sound, and always will. No one is ever self-contained, for better or worse. And we end up carrying home with us wherever we go, for as long as we hear their voices, which is forever, I guess. And so, in the hope that home is wherever you are this holiday season, this is John Tessitore concluding another installment of Be True. If you've listened this long, thank you. You can find more about I Sit at This Desk and Dream at johntessitore.com. But first, go to your music app and search for the Pogues. We just lost Shane McGowan and I've been binging. They're the sound of home too. Not my home, but home nevertheless, and maybe your home. Special thanks to me for today's theme music, which I call A Chord. Maybe we'll talk again. And if you enjoyed this little podcast, leave some stars or a review and tell your friends. In the meantime, I gotta feed the dog. All right, Luna, I'm a coming. <laughs> Stupid.